Twelve Constellations Written by Ilya Krivashev Narrated by Mark Part 1 Constellations Aries April 16, 2012, Paris, France Philip Voulange was driving his Maybach along the Champs Elysees towards the Marais district, to his home in a rented apartment where he lived with his mistress Sabina. He was in a hurry because he wanted to enjoy this day, his 36th birthday. According to the plan, he was supposed to have a day off today, but Matthew's deputy, and closest friend in the morning convinced him to urgently come to the office because of some urgency and importance. Philip arrived annoyed, but immediately softened and smiled, because he was pleasantly surprised. The office staff prepared a surprise for the boss in honor of his birthday. They all gathered in the meeting room, and chanted congratulations when Philip entered. Philip was co-owner of the largest chain of Parisian bakeries. He inherited this business from his parents. A profitable business for France in the middle of the 20th century after the war, Philip's grandfather started and succeeded in this field, overtaking competitors. The business grew and developed under Philip's father, becoming the market leader in this segment at the end of the 20th century. And nine years ago, when his father died, Philip, as the eldest son, headed a large family food industry company. Under Philip, this company grew into a huge factory of all possible food production, located in the suburbs of Paris. Not far from the factory, the Voulange family house was also built, in which not only Philip himself lived, but also his old mother, and his brothers and sister. Two years ago, when Philip met Sabina, he decided to rent a luxurious apartment in the center of Paris and live in it with his new lover, who was perfect for Philip as wife. And this decision was reasonable. First, because lovers could live their lives separately from their many relatives. And, secondly, Philip liked living in the movement of the city, and the fact that it was not far from work. The fact is that Philip spent most of his working time in the office of the family company, which was located in one of the corporate buildings in the center of Paris, and not in a factory. Of course, Philip Voulange was a very rich man, if not the richest man in France, then at least one of the richest in Paris. And he could afford to rent a luxury apartment in the center of Paris. He could also afford a luxurious car. In the narrow streets of Paris, you rarely see a large car. And if you did meet one, then it indicated that the owner of this car is a person of very high status. And Philip took great pleasure in the realization that he was one of the few who have this status. Philip also enjoyed driving a luxurious car. That is why he did not keep a driver, although he could afford a personal driver. When Philip came home, Sabina was still asleep. He bent over her face, and kissed her forehead. Sabina woke up. Where are you going? She asked in a sleepy voice. On the contrary, I just returned, Philip smiled. I was in a hurry to see you. Where did you come back from? From the job. But you have a day off today. Right, Philip smiled. From now on I have a day off. Do not forget that at five o'clock we should already be at my mother's house, she is organizing a party in honor of my birthday. Until that time, we can be on our own. Sabina smiled at her beloved, hugged him by the neck, and whispered in her ear. Happy birthday, my stubborn and insatiable Aries. Your best gift is me. 
passionate sex happened between Philip and Sabina. After sex, Sabina went to the shower, and Philip remained on the bed. He lit a cigarette. Ten minutes later, Philip heard Sabina scream from the shower room. Sabina, what happened? Philip shouted. There was no answer. Philip raised himself on the bed, wanting to get up, but immediately froze in this position, because in the door opposite he saw a certain human silhouette in black tight-fitting clothes, and a mask on his face. It was a ninja. The ninja was holding a pistol, and aiming directly at Philip. One moment and bang. Without warning, a bullet plunged into the center of Philip's chest. Philip fell down on the bed with his whole body, his head rolled to the side, and a red stream flowed from his mouth. The ninja walked over to the bed, put a small piece of paper on the bedside table, and disappeared. There was only one symbol inscribed on this sheet of paper, Aries. Taurus. May 2, 2012, Lisbon, Portugal. Tanya Maria Marilis do Sol, as usual in the morning, went out to the small terrace of her large house in the Arroios district to drink coffee and think. It had already developed into a daily ritual that brought her pleasure. The pleasure was that she sat on a wicker chair, crossing her legs, slowly drinking coffee, and looking down from her balcony at Old Lisbon, which abruptly descended with its red roofs deep into the coast. And it seemed that only Basilica da Estrela, together with the Pantheon, did not descend with the city down to the banks of the Tagus, but, on the contrary, stretched with their spires to the sky, and the sun. Tanya Maria began her morning today by thinking that it was time for her to start preparing for the holiday in honor of her birthday, which will take place in five days. It is necessary to deal with organizational issues, invite trusted chef Ricardo and his team of chefs who will prepare a delicious dinner, and use the services of a cleaning company that will clean the house. Tanya Maria did not keep a constant servant in the house, although her husband offered her this option many times. But she always refused, because she did not understand the inappropriate waste of money. Yes, when the children were small, the servants were very helpful in the house. But now the children have grown up, Nikolai works with his father in a family company, and lives in his own apartment, and Christina is studying in the USA. Therefore, most of the time, except for Tanya, there is no one in the house. The husband spends a lot of time at work, and Tanya is left to herself. Cooking is a pleasure for her, and the general cleaning of the house can be entrusted to a cleaning company once a month. Then why do we need a servant? But in five days the whole family will gather at the house for Tanya's birthday. Nikolaou will be with his wife, and Christina will come from the USA with some new boyfriend. The house will come to life, so you need to properly prepare for this event. Tanya decided that these days she would not invite her friends to an evening coffee with gossip, and she herself would not go anywhere, but would devote herself entirely to preparing for the upcoming family celebration. The husband, as usual, will come home late, just to sleep, and leave before dark, because now he needs to work a lot in their family company, which runs a major transatlantic port, in order to arrange a couple of days off in honor of his wife's birthday. From the outside it might seem that the husband of Tanya Maria was handpacked, which was pure truth. Tanya knew that her husband sometimes cheated on her, but she took it calmly. 
firstly, because she sometimes allowed herself, when she really wanted, to cheat on her husband with some handsome, young, pumped-up guy. And, secondly, she was calm that her husband would never leave her that she would preserve the appearance of a family idol, and would do whatever his wife told him. Because the port he manages has been owned by the Marilis du Sol family clan for over a century. He will not dare to challenge his wife, otherwise he will be on the street. While Tanya Maria was immersed in her thoughts, she did not notice how in an instant a man in a black ninja suit appeared behind her back. The ninja slipped out of the house onto the terrace and, with a dexterous movement of his hand, stuck a syringe into Tanya Maria's neck. For a minute Tanya was in convulsions, and then she died. On a wicker coffee table next to Tanya was an empty cup of coffee that Tanya had just drank. The ninja placed a small piece of paper under this cup, and disappeared. There was only one symbol inscribed on this sheet of paper, Taurus. Gemini. May 20, 2012, London, England. Maximilian Bradbury was alone at home in his London apartment, and working. He was involved in the translation from French of the new detective novel by Pierre Badier, the bestseller of the current season. Of course. Being a well-to-do man, Maximilian might not have worked, but he worked because he loved his job, it gave his life at least some meaning, made this alive, and not boring. Maximilian's mother was born into an impoverished aristocratic family after the war, and knew firsthand what poverty is, what it means to count every penny, what it is like to wash clothes in a basin with your own hands, mend worn-out clothes, wash floors in the house and cook meals for the whole family. And she always wondered why she, a sweet girl of aristocratic blood, had to do all this. She wanted a secular life and travel to France, especially since she perfectly learned French. She was sure that she just needed to get a successful marriage, this would save her from the humiliation of poverty and want. A successful passion soon turned up in the person of Captain Bradbury at a London party. The captain fell in love with a lovely lady, and offered her a hand, and a heart. Maximilian's mother happily agreed. However, she did not get what she dreamed of, the captain was not at all a socialite, economical, sometimes tight-fisted, so the young married couple lived with dignity and modesty. At first, this irritated the young wife. But then she quickly realized that she really loves her husband, feels under his protection, and does not feel the needs that she had previously experienced. Soon, the young Bradbury couple had a son, Maximilian, who from early childhood demonstrated a talent for learning foreign languages. Under the careful guidance of his mother, by the age of 10, Maximilian spoke fluently in French. In the future, he had good success in other foreign languages. The parents encouraged the boy's talent in every possible way, and when the question arose about whom to study after school, no one had any doubts that Maximilian would study at the university as a philologist linguist. As a student, and a very successful student, Maximilian respectfully listened to his mother's instructions on the right path, Son, I have no doubt that after university you will be able to get a good job, knowledge of foreign languages will help you. But this is not a fact. In life, you cannot stand on only one leg, you need to stand on two legs. Therefore, you need to find a worthy and wealthy spouse. Understand that you have the blood of English peers in you. 
you can't just be an ordinary journalist or translator in some publishing house and make ends meet from paycheck to paycheck. You deserve more. Maximilian was a frequent guest at a variety of student parties. At these parties, he realized the many girls like him, he won their hearts with his pretty face and beautiful French. Having kissed many girls, Maximilian also realized that his mother was right, love alone is not enough for marriage, it is necessary that there is also prosperity. And if there is also a status, social position, then it is twice better. In the late 90s, the London tabloid press published a snapshot of a young lady Rose Gilman, a cousin-niece of Queen Elizabeth, in which she had a sweet conversation with a young man in a restaurant. It was rumored that there was an affair between Lady Rose and this man. The tabloid press began to find out who this man was and found out. It was Maximilian Bradbury, a translator for a London publishing house. Both Lady Rose and Maximilian refused to comment on the gossip of the yellow press, implying that they were above all this, but thereby only fueled public interest. In fact, there was, of course, no romance between Lady Rose and Maximilian. It was a cunning game on the part of Maximilian. He, while working in the publishing business, had some connections in the journalistic community. And it was he who threw his accidental photo with Lady Rose to one newspaper, hinting at an affair. The tabloids ate this information with pleasure. But since then Maximilian has become a prominent figure in secular society, he was often invited to various events. At one of these events, he met Margaret Smith, a wealthy American woman who owns a British-American bank, who recently divorced her husband, and moved to London. Margaret was 20 years older than Maximilian, which did not prevent them from becoming lovers. And soon the lovers decided to get married. Margaret told Maximilian before the wedding, I'm a rich woman. All my life I have worked hard. But I really want to have a family and children. Didn't I deserve this? For so many years I lived with my husband in America, but we did not have children. He recently left me for a young woman and they had a child. Lord, how I cried. Why didn't the God give me children? What have I done wrong? Soon I will be 50 years old, I am not at that age to give birth. But I want a family and children. If you don't mind, marry me, and a surrogate mother will give birth to children. Yes, I know that you are younger than me. If you want to change me, I will not hinder you, just do it carefully. The most important thing is that you keep our family and children safe. Maximilian took Margaret's offer as beneficial for himself and agreed. Children at Margaret and Maximilian appear two years after the wedding. When the children were born, a girl and a boy, Lisa and Henry, Margaret bought a house in which they now live happily with the whole family, and the London apartment was empty. When Maximilian needed to work in silence, translate another book from French, he came to his apartment, and worked in a relaxed atmosphere. Maximilian was sitting at a desk in front of a computer, and with his back to the door when a ninja slipped into the room. Maximilian was completely immersed in his work, and did not hear a single rustle. The ninja pointed a pistol to the back of Maximilian's head, and fired. Drops of blood spattered onto the computer monitor, and Maximilian's head fell on the keyboard. The ninja placed a small piece of paper next to the computer keyboard, and disappeared.
There was only one symbol inscribed on this sheet of paper, Gemini. Cancer. June 23, 2012, Turin, Italy. Francesca Del Bosco called her husband at noon, and said. Dear, I really hope that you still come home for lunch. This morning at work I made a new recipe for cheese buns, and brought some home. I know that you love cheese rolls and I really want you to try them. If you like them, I'll bake them for the cafeteria too. Yes, honey, in 30 minutes I'll be home. I'm on my way. Where is Claudia? She stayed to play with Veronica. She will return in the evening. Well, wait for me, I'll be there soon. Antonio loved his wife very much, because she perfectly complimented him in everything, and gave meaning to his whole life. Little, fragile beauty Francesca was the real keeper of the family hearth. She was a loving and faithful wife to her husband Antonio, lieutenant of the Carabineers in Turin, and a wonderful mother to their 11-year-old daughter Claudia. And how beautifully and divinely, that is, delicious and professional, she cooked. She knew how to bake delicious and beautiful cakes since childhood, because her father, a professional chef and cafeteria owner, taught his daughter his craft. And after the death of her father, Francesca inherited his cafeteria, and all these years successfully, with trepidation and love, continued to engage in the business inherited from her parent. Francesca managed to do everything, and maintain her cafeteria, and household. She cooked for her husband and daughter every day, met and saw them off every day, and arrived at work for several hours at noon. And while Francesca even earned more than her husband. But she never boasted of this in front of her husband. Never put him in the position of a dependent. The Del Bosco family, in every respect, could be called an ideal family. Pope Antonio was a real man who worked in the police, protected law and order. Mom Francesca was a real woman who worked as a chef, cooked delicious food, and created family comfort. And daughter Claudia was a beautiful and intelligent girl. And no one in the family dominated, and no one was dependent on anyone, everyone was equal to each other. Yes, we admit that this also happens in life, although it looks fantastic. When Antonio came home, he shouted. Honey, I'm home. But Francesca didn't answer. Surprised that his wife did not meet him, Antonio entered the kitchen, and saw his wife's beautiful little legs at the kitchen table. Oh my God! shouted Antonio. Instantly the thought flashed through his head that his wife felt bad, and she fell unconscious. It was necessary to urgently call for medical help, and Antonio convulsively grabbed the phone. However, when he walked around the kitchen table, the phone fell out of his hands. He realized that the medical service would no longer help Francesca. She was a corpse, the bloody spot on her forehead, left by a bullet, spoke of it. Antonio bent over the body of his wife, and could not believe his eyes. There was a small piece of paper next to Francesca. Antonio picked it up. There was only one symbol inscribed on this sheet of paper, cancer. Leo. July 23, 2012, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Rodrigo Russo had been living in his Argentine home for a whole week. Usually he stayed in an Argentinian house when his soul wanted relaxation and enjoyment, 
so this house was specially equipped for enjoyment. It was large, outwardly unsightly, but inside it looked like Eden. Rodrigo tried not to visit his Eden very often, so as not to draw attention to him from his enemies. He tried to keep his secret home secret, at least for the time being. Moreover, the Argentine home was not as secure as his main residence in Colombia. Rodrigo had many enemies, as befits a major drug manufacturer in South America. And Rodrigo, perhaps, was not afraid of his enemies, but he was on the alert. Therefore, his main home in Colombia was very well defended. My home is my castle, said Rodrigo proudly. The same could not be said for the Argentine home. And it was imprudent on the part of Rodrigo to living in this house for so long and for the first time to deviate from the rule of a short stay. Why did Rodrigo do this? He himself did not know the answer to this question. He's just tired. He was tired of living for years in constant tension from the thought that at any moment you could be killed. And, wanting to rest, he, together with his guards, secretly left for Buenos Aires. He drank a lot of whiskey, and he did not notice how the days passed. This early morning, he was woken up hangover by the noise of a helicopter flying overhead. He was lying on a lounger by the pool in his garden. In his hands was an almost finished bottle of whiskey. According to the rule, when any flying vehicle appeared over the garden, it was necessary to immediately take cover in the house in order to be protected from air attack. The Argentine home was not as defended as the Colombian. And Rodrigo already wanted to get up and run into the house, but he could not do it. When he tried to get up, his head started spinning, and he, realizing that he was not in control of his body, fell back on the lounger. At that very moment, a sniper from a helicopter made his striking shot in the heart of Rodrigo. A minute later, Rodrigo's guards rushed into the garden with their submachine guns raised to the top, but this no longer made sense, because there was no helicopter over the garden. The guards approached Rodrigo's body, and saw that some kind of float was floating in the pool. One of the guards dived into the pool, and pulled the weighty float out of the water. A flat plastic transparent case was tied to this float. Opening the case, Rodrigo's guards pulled out a small piece of paper. There was only one symbol inscribed on this sheet of paper, Leo. Virgo. September 3, 2012, Barcelona, Spain. Maria Lopez today decided to run away from home, because she was terrified of her husband. Former husband. She knew perfectly well what kind of person he was, how dangerous he could be. And the fact that he knows how to keep his word. At their last meeting at the court hearing, the ex-spouse hissed through clenched teeth, leaving the hall, and passing by, so that only Maria could hear it, which promises to give her an unforgettable birthday present. The birthday will be in two days, and today it is necessary to collect some things, and hide from everyone for a week in the Costa del Sol. For one thing, to rest and recover from the problems, fears and worries with which Maria lived recently and thus make herself a gift for birthday. After the divorce, Maria settled in this rented apartment near the Sagrada Familia metro station, and filed a lawsuit for the division of property. The husband was furious because he did not expect such a response from Maria, considering her soft and incapable of living in a harsh world without patronage from outside.
he once caught her on the street and punched her in the face. This fact was recorded in the police report and played against her ex-husband in court. The ex-husband's lawyers begged him not to commit more rash acts because everything already testifies in favor of Maria. There was no marriage contract. The former spouses got married at a time when they were young and not so rich, so Maria had a high chance of a positive court decision. Of course, Maria considered herself unjustly offended by her husband and demanded her share of the acquired property. In 2000, when they got married, together, as partners, they started a family business in the field of yacht rental for sea trips. Yes, the business idea belonged to her husband, but Maria was actively involved at the initial stage in organizing this idea, including investing in her husband's business all her money that she had at that time. Years later, when the business grew and became very profitable, the husband gradually removed his wife from business, and Maria turned into a housewife. And everything would be fine, but, as it turned out in Maria's case, time does not heal, but cripples. Having felt the taste of big money, the husband became a rude, hot-tempered, uncompromising, authoritarian person. The spouses very often began to conflict, and moved away from each other. And if earlier Maria worried that she could not get pregnant, now she thanked God for not having time to give birth from this terrible person. At first, she tried to swallow all her husband's grievances, tried to smooth corners, and keep the relationship. But this only exacerbated the situation, her husband increasingly humiliated Maria with words. And Maria began to fight back. The scandals intensified. And two years ago, in February 2010, her husband beat Maria in a fit of anger, as a result of which she spent two weeks in a hospital bed. Maria could not forgive her husband, and filed for divorce. Maria packed her suitcase, and looked at her watch. It was half past four in the afternoon. She had to hurry, because her bus leaves in an hour. She threw her cloak over her shoulders, picked up the suitcase, and headed for the exit. She wanted to open the door but suddenly the door opened by itself, without her efforts. Maria was frightened. On the threshold, she saw a ninja with a knife in his hands. The suitcase fell from her hands, fell to the floor, and Maria screamed. She ran to the kitchen, and the ninja ran after her. A man in black clothes pounced on the screaming Maria from behind and knocked her to the floor. The fight between them continued for a minute and then the ninja stabbed Maria three times with a knife in the groin. Soon Maria's lifeless body lay in a pool of blood. The ninja placed a small piece of paper on Maria's chest, and disappeared. There was only one symbol inscribed on this sheet of paper, Virgo. Libra. October 1, 2012, Los Angeles, USA. Johnny Takahashi was born without a father. His mother, of Japanese descent, and second-generation American, was an intelligent and educated woman who had worked as an assistant at the Los Angeles Times all her life. When Johnny asked his mother about his father, she always replied that she would never give a name, a traitor is not worthy of this, because he abandoned them. But she noted that he was a movie actor, though not very successful, that she was not even sure if he was still alive. In his youth, Johnny was engaged in martial arts, often participated in various competitions. Once he was noticed by a producer of a small film company, 
and invited to a cameo role in action as a wrestler. Thus began Johnny's career in the film industry, he took part as a guest actor in combat and stunt scenes. It was in the early 90s. Johnny started his own small film company in 2000, but all three films that were released failed at the box office, and did not cover the sponsorship investment. He had to close his company so as not to go broke and return to the ranks of stuntmen. Johnny came home by midnight today. He kicked off his boots by the door, sat down on the sofa in the living room, threw back his head, put his feet on the poof, and sighed heavily. He is tired. He understood that he is not as young anymore as 20 years ago, that much in the profession was no longer available to him. The film industry is developing at lightning speed, and requires stuntmen to perform tasks that Johnny, due to his age, cannot perform. Johnny understood that his time had come, it was time to leave the profession, but what should he do next? It's good that he has additional income, he taught at a private sports school in the wrestling section for young men. Suddenly Johnny heard a rustle in the bathroom. He got up from the couch, went to the bathroom, and opened the door. The barrel of the gun in the ninja's hands was staring at him. Johnny was not taken aback and reacted quickly, with his left foot he knocked the pistol out of the ninja's hands. The ninja growled angrily, because he did not expect such a rebuff, and rushed at Johnny. Johnny and the ninja got into a fight that lasted five minutes. When Johnny pushed the ninja aside, he rushed to the dresser where his pistol was kept. But Johnny didn't have time to get the pistol out of the dresser, the ninja took a knife from its sheath on his belt, and launched it into Johnny's chest. Johnny fell to the floor with the hilt up. The ninja went up to Johnny, stepped on the handle with his foot, and completely sank the blade into Johnny's body. The ninja then threw a piece of paper over Johnny's body, and disappeared. There was only one symbol inscribed on this sheet of paper, Libra. Scorpio. November 21, 2012, Moscow, Russia. Ksenia Konchenko was sitting at the desk of her office, and signing papers when the secretary entered. Ksenia Vladimirovna, an Interpol investigator is calling you via Skype. Giacomo Bonjani. Ksenia put her pen on the table and said to the secretary. Well, connect me with him. Cassinia opened her laptop, and connected to the video call. On her computer monitor, she saw a handsome fit Italian man of 40. Very nice, Mr. Bongeni. How can I help you? Cassinia spoke English. Lay it out honestly. Giacomo looked at the woman, the Russian TV star, who at that moment was looking only at him from the blue screen, and not at the multi-million of Russian people. She was a tall blonde with an elongated face. This is not to say that she was a beautiful woman, but an interesting, clearly extraordinary person. In her behavior, in the way she behaved and presented herself, there was a masculine character. Strong, self-confident, perhaps even too much, but eccentric and uncompromising. Ksenia was a fairly well-known person in Russia, and what Giacomo read about her very much coincided with what he now saw in front of him. Ksenia was the daughter of the mayor of St. Petersburg, who ran for president of Russia in the 90s. He was a very famous and influential person, but in the 90s he was killed, because it can be assumed that he somehow interfered with one of the competing clans of Russia. 
A huge country of Russia with enormous resources is ruled by three mafia clans who have divided all these resources among themselves and are now very good at negotiating with each other. Giacomo, as an Interpol investigator, was aware of this. But then, in the 90s, these clans did not always find a common language, so there were casualties. And Cassinia's father, apparently, fell in the showdown of those years. But for his daughter, he left a good legacy, big money and good connections in the highest echelons of state power in Russia. When Cassinia finished her studies at the university, she went to work on television. At first, she hosted glamorous, entertaining TV shows and talk shows about the relationship between men and women, about savor in the capital, and show business stars, about fashion and travel. So she became a famous TV presenter. And years later, the television bosses boosted Cassinia for her social temperament, and now she hosted social and political TV shows. She listened to the groans and complaints of the ordinary Russian people about the difficult and hungry life and tried to help these guests, invited to her TV programs. But at the end of her TV programs, she always pushed the idea that, despite all the difficulties, the Russian state worries and cares as much as possible about its people. Summarizing, we can say that Cassinia worked as a propagandist for state power on television. I'm looking for a worldwide serial killer who kills by zodiac signs, Giacomo said. The first victim of this killer was the famous French industrialist Philippe Boulange, who was killed on April 16 in his Paris apartment. Oh my God! Cassinia cried out in fright, and covered her mouth with her palm. Do you know this name? Yes. I know. Very well. Next to Philip's body, the police found a sheet of paper on which the zodiac symbol Aries was written. The killer as if deliberately demonstrates to us that the killed was according to the zodiac sign Aries. And then a chain of similar crimes follows. The second victim is Taurus. Tanya Maria Marilis Dussol was killed on May 2nd at her home in Lisbon. The third victim is Gemini. Maximilian Bradbury was killed on May 20th in his London apartment. The fourth victim is cancer. Francesca Del Bosco was killed on June 23rd at her home in Turin. The fifth victim is Leo. Rodrigo Russo was killed on July 23rd at his home in Buenos Aires. The sixth victim is Virgo. Maria Lopez was murdered on September 3rd in her apartment in Barcelona. And finally, the seventh sacrifice is Libra. Johnny Takahashi was killed on October 1st at his Los Angeles apartment. Do you understand where I am going, Signor Cassinia? Are you saying that the next victim should be me? Scorpio. Right. Cassinia was silent for about five minutes, as if pondering something, and then said, Mr. Bongeni, what you just told me, of course, shocks and frightens me. It is very strange. Can you suggest me something? First of all, I want to warn you of the mortal danger that threatens you. You should be extremely careful. I'm sure the killer is following you right now. Secondly, I can offer you the protection of Interpol. But why do I need Interpol security, if I have my own good, proven, professional security? Well, that's reasonable. In this case, you are obliged to warn your guards that you are in danger. Now they should be especially wary. And thirdly, Signora Cassinia, 
Please help me find the killer. But how? Tell me, who wants to kill you all? Whom do you suspect? Nobody. That's what I'm saying, it's all very strange. Everything that you have just told me does not fit in my head. Who could want to kill us? I can't even imagine. And most importantly, why? It all looks like some kind of nonsense. Maybe then, in Cambridge, something happened? God, what event could happen there? I remember that time very well. The boredom was mortal. We were there for one month, but it seemed to me that this month dragged on for an eternity. I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. And you were friends with each other? Well, we talked. Conducted, so to speak, small talk. But I cannot say that we were friends. That's why I say that I was very bored there. I think the rest will too. Cassinio looked at her wristwatch, and said. Well, Mr. Bajeni, in an hour I have to be at a journalistic meeting in the Kremlin. Yes, I understand, Giacomo said hastily. But I very much ask you, if you suddenly remember something, then call me urgently. I dictated my coordinates to your secretary. Certainly, Cassinia smiled. Twenty minutes after the conversation with Giacomo, Cassinia, accompanied by five security guards, left the main entrance of the building where her production company was located. A crowd of people, fans, who chanted something in Russian, ran towards Cassinia. Cassinia smiled but quickly and confidently walked to the car. The guards pushed fans away. Cassinia got into the back seat of her tinted car, and her personal driver got behind the wheel. The car started to move, turned at a sharp turn towards the exit to the roadway, and at that moment a powerful explosion was heard. It was Cassinia's car that exploded. A tongue of flame rose up and then poured black, stinking smoke. The fans which were standing at the entrance to the building, screamed and ran in a crowd towards the blown-up car. The next morning, when Cassinia's secretary was sorting through the mail, among other things, she found a postcard. There was only one symbol inscribed on this card, Scorpio. Sagittarius. November 23, 2012, Hamburg, Germany. Robert Schmeissner has been serving his sentence in a Hamburg prison for four years, convicted of economic crimes. For the last decade, he has been creating various financial pyramids. And four years ago, the punishing hand of Themis, in the person of Interpol, which tracked down and seized the swindler, and the German court, sentenced Robert to imprisonment. Robert was already used to prison life, it did not weigh him down. He was an experienced person. Adapting to the surrounding conditions, therefore, when required, he knew how not to draw close attention to himself. He made no friends in prison, but neither did he make enemies. He read more and more, wrote and reflected. And sometimes he smiled inwardly to himself, because he knew this thought warmed him that very soon, when he was free, he would be a wealthy person, and could afford whatever he wanted. Even before the police seized him. He managed to withdraw the stolen money to an offshore zone, in Antigua and Barbuda. Today, on this cloudy day, as usual at noon, the prisoners were taken for a walk. Robert sat on a bench by the enclosing wall, and lit a cigarette. Today he did not join any group of prisoners, 
and no one approached him either. When he smoked a cigarette, and threw the butt into the bin, he felt someone's heavy eyes on himself. Robert looked around. The bearded Turk, who has been in this prison for no more than a year, looked at Robert. Previously, Robert had never crossed paths with this Turk, only seen him several times on general walks. Robert jerked his chin towards the Turk, as if he wanted to say, What are you looking at? Suddenly, the Turk left his company, and went to Robert. Approaching him, the Turk with a dexterous movement of his hand took a Swiss knife from his panties and thrust it into Robert's throat. Robert grabbed throat with hands, and then fell to the ground. A couple of days later, while the prison guards were sorting through the mail that had just arrived, among other things, they found a postcard for Robert. There was only one symbol inscribed on this card, Sagittarius. Capricorn. December 25, 2012, Dubai, UAE. Amira Carmen woke up early today, and in high spirits. The day promises to be hectic, but enjoyable. There is so much to do, decorate the tree, prepare a festive dinner, and wrap gifts. Amira loved this day. Celebrating European Christmas has already become a tradition in their family. When Amira was little and lived in Almada, the Gabbulvalia family celebrated New Year on January 1st. But then Amira grew up, studied in prestigious Western educational institutions, and got used to celebrating Christmas instead of New Year. She considered Christmas to be the best and kindest holiday of the year. Christmas dinner with your family with gifts, and a decorated Christmas tree, what could be better? She passed on her love for this family holiday to her sons, 12-year-old Alan and 10-year-old Abdul. Of course, the children loved this holiday, because on this day they were hugged and given the most cherished gifts. Amira's husband, a manager of a large oil company, treated all of his wife's preparations that day favorably and with understanding. He reasoned like this, when the family is happy, then I am also happy. Amira washed up, put on her dressing gown, and went into the kitchen to start preparing a festive dinner. But before starting to prepare dinner, she made breakfast for herself and her family, she made coffee, eggs and milk porridge, cut sandwiches. While she was having breakfast, she quietly turned on the TV on the music channel with New Year's songs for the mood. She then turned to her cell phone to read her email and news. Her attention lingered on a letter from Giacomo Bonjani at Interpol. Mrs. Carmen. A month ago I wrote you a letter, but you ignored it, I have not received any response from you, I tried to call you many times, but you were always unavailable and never called back. Then I tried to call your husband, but his secretaries always told me that he was busy at the moment, and would call back later. But he didn't call me back either. Meanwhile, the matter is taking on a threatening position for you personally. Understand, you will be the next victim. This serial killer will stop at nothing. Please help me catch this killer. Please contact me. Call or write. Giacomo Bonjani, Lieutenant of Interpol. This is a demo. After reading this letter, Amira's good mood immediately soured. She took her antidepressants. But she did not get better, on the contrary, it became worse, dizzy. And then Amira fell to the floor. A jar of medicine fell out of her hand, 
and the symbol was inscribed on the label of this plastic jar. Capricorn Aquarius February 20, 2013, New York, USA For the last three months, Paul Brown has lived in constant stress, there was even a persecution mania. And now he broke off and drank for a whole week without drying out. The reasons were, and quite serious. For many years he worked in a financial corporation, lived well, did not deny himself anything, took loans from banks. He was proud of himself, because he knew that not every black guy could achieve such a position, status and success as he did, and live in good apartment on Fifth Avenue. But half a year ago, his finance corporation suffered losses, which led to massive staff reductions. Paul was fired. And he is currently unemployed, unable to pay off his loans, and maintain a good apartment on Fifth Avenue. Paul realized that very soon he would have to move out of his apartment, and live somewhere in Brooklyn, in Bedford-Stuyvesant on Gates Avenue, for example. The thought alone made Paul want to cry, despite the fact that Paul had never been a whiner before, he was always an optimist, and a nice guy. Once, getting very drunk, he said to himself, so many generations of blacks were slaves on this earth, and fought for freedom. And I naively believe that, at last, the time had come when the black man was no longer a slave. I'm not a slave. But, my God, how wrong I was. In fact, I am the same slave as my ancestors a hundred years ago. Usually, when a New Yorker is consumed by a depression, he turns to some sect for help. How many such announcements are posted around the city? And how many such ads come to your email every day? Attend one seminar, another seminar, and the third and tenth, we will help you, advise and teach you. A weak person, when such information presses on him from all sides, willy-nilly succumbs to swindle. Paul knew many people who were victims of such crooks, and he understood that all these sects, as a rule, do not help people in difficult times, but pull the last money from them. These crooks have recently become insolent, sending threatening emails to emails. It got to the point that Paul began to receive outrageous letters, and calls as if from Interpol, and he was intimidated that some world-class serial killer was now hunting him and would kill him very soon. You can go crazy from this flow of information nonsense. No, Paul clearly decided for himself that he would not apply to these terrible sects. He'd rather drown his sorrow in whiskey. Yesterday, as usual, Paul got drunk and today he woke up with clicks in his head. Before opening his eyes, he thought, looks like I used too much yesterday. My head will hurt today. But when he opened his eyes, he saw the barrel of a pistol aimed at his head, and above him was a ninja in a black suit, and a black mask covering his face. The ninja shot Paul in the forehead. The ninja threw on the dead body, lying on the couch with an empty bottle of whiskey, a small piece of paper on which only one symbol was inscribed, Aquarius. Pisces. March 1, 2013, Casablanca, Morocco. Julia Castillo sat on the shore of the ocean, listened to the lapping of the waves, and watched the sunset. She was alone on the beach. She was calm and peaceful. A few days ago, Julia was seriously alarmed. 
because she realized that she will be the next victim. Although she did not understand who and why wants to kill her. But now Giacomo was next to her, the most beloved and closest person in the whole world at this moment in her life, she felt his protection. Julia was so immersed in the contemplation of the sunset that she did not feel the approaching danger. The ninja was behind Julia, crept up silently and unnoticed. He fired a muffled pistol in the back of the head. Julia fell to the sand, and the ninja placed a small sheet of paper under her. There was only one symbol inscribed on this sheet of paper, Pisces.